Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You see, I've, I've never been a believer that fast is important. I don't really care how fast you can play or how many notes you can play. It's the melody that, that matters. It goes for James Jameson in particular. Someone who can play a lot of notes, but they're all important. They weren't just being played to fill up space. They all meant something. And I think that's that's what's really important. Welcome to another episode of the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. I am Uncle Greg. We have Brett Varga. We have Buena with us like every week. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Great. Ready to get funky this week. Uh Oh, yes. Funky. Because our topic, of course, is the top five basis of the O3L era. So I know that there's a lot of great music through 74 to 99 and a lot of great bass players, but of course, they may not be in all in alternative music. So I'm sure that there are some other great bassists out there that influence the bassist that we will talk about today. Did anybody yep. follow that? No, I don't know uh, if I did. I think it did kind of match up. But what I'm saying yeah. is like, because you get like Bootsy Collins, you know, you get the oh, uh, bass incredible. player for Chic. You know, I know that. Uh, now Rogers. Well, yep. There you go. See? Yep. But can't make Paul our McCartney. list because Paul McCartney. Can't make our oh. list because they're really not alternative music. Paul McCartney, the bassist from On High. Yes, in Wings, and uh, I think he was in some band. And that other that band, band Michael Jackson. That other band he was in. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. But mostly Wings. Yep. And this episode, we also have a special guest. Brett, tell us about who's going to be joining us today. Yeah, well, we have a very special guest bassist for the Go-Betweens from 1983 to 1987, Robert Vickers, and super nice personal guy. Great of him to take the time with us. Very excited about that. So Pretty Mr. Cool. Vickers is going to be joining us. And uh, so let's get started with our list so that we can squeeze them in. Of course, it's the top five bassists of the O3L era. And I will start off this week with my number five. Now, you might not know his name right off the top of your head, but if you just hear one of his bass lines, you'll know who I'm talking about. Nick Beggs. He first formed the band when he was 10. It was called Johnny and the Martians. He played drums, but then as he got older, he started another band called Art Nouveau. And then they, then they changed their name to Kaja Gugu. And when they released their first single in January of 1983, now you can hear the bass line in your head of Too Shy. That's how we all know Nick Beggs. Beggs, uh, he has worked with many different artists like Gary Newman, Alphaville, Belinda Carlisle, Howard Jones, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. This guy, he's just done a lot of different things. He's been in a lot of different bands. So Kaja Gugu is not the only thing that he's been in. But of course, again, that's where we know he where, where he is today. solid musician 
and he's still creating magic today. So that's my number five from Kaja Gugu, Nick Beggs. I didn't know the name of the bassist from Kaja Gugu. But you know that bass line, right? You can hear it. I do, I do know yeah. the bass line. You can, yeah. you can hear it in your head right now. No, yeah, I will not over be me. able to shake it now. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that was just the biggest song for them. And of course, you know, they've uh, actually gotten back together throughout the years and toured. Hopefully they'll get back together again and we could watch them live. But uh, definitely Nick Beggs, if you don't know, like I said, you can go to YouTube and watch him work on the bass. He's incredible. That's my number five this week. Bueno, shy, you're huh? up next. Yep, yep too shy. Yep. Well, uh, my number five is uh, an English singer, songwriter, musician, best known as the founder, lead singer, bassist, and the primary songwriter of the actually going off a genre here, uh, heavy metal band Motorhead. Lemmy's music was the foundation of the heavy metal genre. You know, he was definitely known for his appearance. You know, he had those signature friendly mutton chops and, you know, he had that military influence fashion sense, I would say. Or he had that gravely, you know, raspy type voice that once uh, declared as the most recognizable voice in rock. And he also had his noted uh, unique ways of singing, which he, you know, once looked at looking up toward the towering microphone tilted into into his weather-beaten face. And also known for his bass playing style, which is uh, Rickenbacker. I mean, my gosh, the sound that that guy made out of that Rickenbacker was overpowered, distorted, rumble, which uh, another notable aspect of his bass was that he often played the power chords using heavily overdriven tube stacks by Marshall. So pretty cool setup there. And if you like to gamble, I tell you how you land. You win some, lose some, and do the same to me. He actually worked as a roadie uh, for Jimi Hendrix and the Nice before joining the space rock band Hawkwind in 1971 and singing lead vocals for their hit uh, Silver Machine. In 75, he was fired, you know, from Hawkwind after uh, arrest for drug possession. And that same year, he actually founded uh, Motorhead. So the band actually uh, peaked between 1980 and 81 with uh, Ace of Spades. And he actually saw the Beatles perform live at the Cavern Club in Liverpool when he was 16 years old. And then actually he learned to play along on guitar to their first album. Album, please please me the Beatles first album you guys know that guy, that band he also admired <laughs> a little bit a little bit yeah so Brian uh, Epstein cleaned their up cleaned the Beatles up for a mass consumption but uh, they were anything but sissies and uh, they were from Liverpool the tough scouses uh -huh. got that for sure well that's my number five uh, Lemmy incredible bassist right there absolutely you ever hear Dave Grohl talk about Lemmy? Huge the fan. Door. They were best friends. I mean, not best friends, but they were very good friends. Uh, but always talk very, very highly of Lemmy. All right, Brett. What's your number five this week? All right. Well, my number five just happens to be our special guest, Robert Vickers. Again, Vickers was the bassist of the Go-Betweens from 1983 to 1987, but he has had a long and illustrious career that stretches back to the late 70s, playing in Australia's one of their finest punk bands, The Numbers, and then moved to New York City and joined the criminally underrated power pop band, The Colors. And then also in the 90s, after the Go-Betweens, he has toured with Yola Tango, Lloyd Cole, and played in the mad scene with Hamish Kilgore from The Clean. Let's focus on the go-betweens for a moment, as I tend to do during this show. With so much happening musically in the go-between sound, set against Robert Forster's primitively strummed guitar, Grant McLennan's fluid lead lines, Lindy Morrison's often unconventional drumming, and then later on, at the end of his tenure in the band, Amanda Brown's sweet violin lines, there's a lot going on in that music. Robert Vickers served to keep the band grounded and provided some absolutely exquisite melodic counterpoints to keep things interesting. I got myself a mortgage He was one of the coolest looking bassists ever, and I told him this today. As a teenage musician, I wanted so badly to model my rock and roll looks after a few of my heroes. The Beatles, The Small Faces, Paul Weller, Michael Clark from The Bird, Brian Jones from The Stones, 
and Robert Vickers from the cover of Liberty Bell and the Black Diamond Express. And it's not everyone who can say that they've had not just one, but two hometown landmarks directly or indirectly dedicated to them. Brisbane's Go-Between Bridge, of course named after his band, and the Robert Vickers Place Playground at a local park in Brisbane. Of course, if you've listened to this show before, you know how much the go-betweens mean to me. And uh, as mentioned, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Robert about some of his influences and favorite bassists. So Robert, of course, the topic of today's episode is our top five bassists. So can I ask you, who are some of your favorite bassists, either contemporaries, those who influence you, whoever? Well, that's a, it's a very hard question because obviously there's a lot of bass players I like and it's often, you know, just for a track here or a track there to find you know, one person that does everything. But the number one person, of course, is really obvious. It's James Jameson, who oh, did yeah. all the Motown uh, bass lines who was absolutely brilliant. He was at a class by himself, I think, in terms of not just a bass player, but a musician, someone who could create melodies within songs almost at will and could play very busy parts which were incredibly listenable and became part of the, the song itself. That, I think, is right. my ultimate goal in playing bass, is to create these alternate melodies in the song that improve the song and not just sit in the background filling up space. Uh, so he, of right. course, is my number one, definitely. And I'm not sure if you need anyone else after that, but <laughs> number two is probably Paul McCartney, just because he did a lot of the same thing, putting melodies into songs. He obviously was someone who could find melodies out of anything and wrote brilliant ones into other people's songs, as well as his own. Absolutely. Also, I would say Carol Kay, uh, for all her work uh, on those 60s. I grew up listening to 60s pop music on the radio, AM radio. That's what I basically grew up listening to. It's what my single greatest influence, I think, in music is. And a lot of those songs she played bass on, and they have beautiful uh, orchestral bass lines. Of course, her work with Brian Wilson uh, on Pet Sounds is, you know, the pinnacle of... of bass in an orchestral setting uh, where you can, you know, the bass doesn't necessarily sound like a bass. It can sound like other things. Uh, she was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, it can sound like a heartbeat, that part in uh, Don't Talk. Yes. Listen to my heartbeat where the bass takes yeah. on the heartbeat sound, yes. Where bass does something, and we get back to James Jameson and River Deep. Oh, actually, no, this was uh, Carol Kay, I think, River Deep Mountain High, where it goes up and down like a mountain. Uh, that's yeah, you know, just things like that which go beyond using bass as a very simplistic instrument. Uh, also, let's see, what am I up to? I think that was three, perhaps four. Uh, oh, playing with other people. I think Stu Cook from Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, who was someone, uh, was a band I really loved, and I loved the rhythm section. Uh, Doug Clifford yeah. was a brilliant drummer. And of course, Fogarty was a fantastic guitarist and the way the bass and the guitar intermingled with the drums, it's just beautiful record making. To me, that was the epitome of how you play with a band. Probably also number five, I would say Tita Weymouth for her inventiveness in yes. doing kind of brittle funky things uh, where they're kind of danceable, but they also build a kind of nervousness about them. I, I, I really think she's really important in that band and so what drew you to the instrument originally well it's the same as so many bass players uh i had started out playing guitar and i i just started to play guitar I was playing with a nylon string guitar but i wanted to be in a band and i had a friend who was in a band and he uh said they needed a bass player so i said i'd do it i really didn't know much about playing bass i listen to records, but I hadn't thought about them right. in terms of playing bass. So I had to learn on the job, which took a little while. Really was just playing the root notes of the songs, like the guitarist in the band just said, just play the root notes, just play the single note and you'll be fine. You know? and a <laughs> it's lot that of it was, easy. Yeah, it was a lot of it was just <laughs> straight ahead punk. We were doing pretty simple songs and it worked okay. And I was only in the band for probably six months. But I remember the 
the last show that I played, after I knew that I was leaving the band, that I was going to be traveling, I just thought, I'll, I'll just try something. And I was on stage, we were on stage playing, and I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll just try a few. And I started to play other notes that I kind of knew were in the same chord, and it worked. It was amazing. It was just like this, this moment where I realized, you can play other notes. There's the light bulb. And it doesn't clash with the other, what anyone else is playing. So that was my realization that there was more to doing this than, than I had been doing. Which well, was, it was literally like a light bulb going up in my eye. For the complete interview with Robert Vickers, check out our bonus episode. It really is a great listen. He's a lovely gentleman and had a lot of great stories to share. And it truly was a thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. How'd you feel during that interview? It was uh, definitely a pinch me moment. And I tried not to uh, geek out too much, but it was uh, something okay. really special to me. Yeah, that's okay. better than Kwanzaa. Wasn't I'd probably geek out better too. Better than Kwanzaa, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sitting there going, no, I don't know what am I going to say next. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Greg. Cool All right. Well, here's my uh, number four this week. Now, it, this person is a guitar player who joined a band and was asked to start to play bass, and it worked. Now, some parts, some bass parts in the Go Go songs aren't complicated, but they make you want to jump around the room. Of course, number four of my top five bassists of the Only Three Lads era is Kathy Valentine. Now, she was a latecomer to the Go-Go's and she learned their songs in four days before hitting the stage with the band on New Year's Eve, 1980. So since she knew all those songs that quick, they asked her to join the band and she wrote or co-wrote many of the band's biggest hits like Vacation, Head Over Heels, of 2016 they were ready to start their goodbye tour and then she was kicked out of the band her and belinda had some falling out uh so then she wasn't in the band but then a couple years ago there was a broadway play or something like that that was written and so then she joined the band again and they kind of promoted that uh, they were going to do some shows so she's back with the band now actually the go-go's were supposed to be on tour this summer but that darn covid And so uh, hopefully after this is all over, they will go back on the road because Kathy Valentine's bass playing is a major part of the go-go sound. That's why I picked her to be my number four of the top five bassists of the O3L era this week. It's a good pick. Yeah. If it wasn't for you meddling COVID, the go-go's would be on tour right now. Yeah, it would be great seeing the go-go's. You know, I think when this COVID is over, I think people are going to go absolutely bat poo because Mm -hmm. people just want to go out and do things. I mean, they're getting stir crazy. And just think, (laughs) everybody who's kind of just on the sidelines now with live shows, next year, 2021, everyone's going to be on tour. I'm sure tickets are going to have to be less expensive to compete, not only because there's going to be more tours out there and everyone's going to be competing for that uh, discretionary spending, but then again- Drive prices down. Exactly. And then uh, hopefully we see that and- Oh, it's going to be just great. How many shows are we going to see? Yeah. Already seeing all the notifications for the shows that I was supposed to go to this year that have been bumped to next year. How are they going to fit them all in? Well, mine is the Pet Shop Boys. Pet Shop Boys. And with uh, New Order. They're supposed to be going to be there in uh, San Diego, I think, in, I want to say September. September. I was planning that to go there, to go meet you, Brett. And uh, now we have to wait till 2021. But if I have to wait an extra year. I think I'll be all right. We'll take a rain check. Yeah, we'll have to. Hopefully I can get out there too. What's your number four this week, Bueno? Let's hear it. All right. So my number four is a uh, bass player from a well-known band from the Talking Heads, uh, Martina Michelle Weymouth. And uh, she's also a uh, singer-songwriter and author, uh, best known as a founding member. 
And uh, she also has a side project with uh, Tom Tom Club, which she also co-founded with her husband and, you know, Talking Heads drummer, you know, Chris Franz. You know who he is, right? Yes. I think, I think you guys know. Uh, you know, she actually was inducted uh, as a member of the Talking Heads in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002. a pretty wide variety of basses that she uses. She has a Hofner 500, a Fender Mustang bass that she used early in the Talking Head performances. She also has a Gibson Les Paul Triumph bass using some also some early Talking Heads performances. Oh my gosh, a, a Fender Swinger that uh, is seen actually in the Stop Making Sense during the performance of This Must Be the Place. And uh, you know, if you just listen just for her bass line, I mean, she knows how to cut it perfectly with a knife through through butter. I mean, yeah. she is just amazing. So next time you listen to any Talking Heads you know, music, definitely listen because she makes some beautiful music. of the O3L era, Tina Weymouth. Well, well, well. James uh, Brown. James, James Brown. Some beautiful things. Yes, you I does. love Tom Tom Club. Me too. Oh, yeah. Uh, keeps me moving. That's my jam. Mm-hmm. you dancing and pogoing all night to them. Speaking of jamming, Uh-oh. my number four top bassist is Manny from the Stone Roses and Primal Scream. No way. Manny's danceable groove elevated the Roses from a chiming indie pop band to the leaders of the Mad Chester Baggy scene by the late 80s. By successfully melding guitar rock swagger with dance music, the Roses became for a time the biggest band in the UK. understand why by just listening to some of Manny's most memorable bass lines. The insistent drive of I Want to Be Adored, the melodic thump of I Am the Resurrection that gives way to anchoring the groovy psychedelia of the song's coda, and of course, the funky slap bass of the 10-minute workout fool's goal. Pressure to follow up one of the greatest debut albums in history, coupled with record label woes, meant that it was another five years before a second Roses album, appropriately titled Second Coming. But that album once again finds Manny playing in the pocket, locking into a Zeppelin-esque groove with drummer Rennie for much of that album. Soon the Roses would split acrimoniously, sadly, leaving Manny as a free agent. He would go on to reinvigorate Primal Scream for their adventurous Vanishing Point album that I mentioned in our 1997 episode, which is a trippy, trance-inducing record helped in no small part by Manny's bass fretwork. And although it just misses the O3L cutoff, check out Manny's work on Primal Scream's 2000 follow-up album, Exterminator, which is one of the most brutal anarchic techno-punk albums ever committed to tape or disc. So that is my number four, Manny from the Stone Roses and Primal Scream. Great pick I didn't even think of. Yeah, me either. So many great lines. Well, we're through our number five and number four picks of our top five basis of the O3L era here on the Only Three Lads podcast. Don't forget, tell your friends, tell your enemies about our podcast. You can find us on all the platforms like Are we going to number six? Stitcher. Number six? What's number six? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm backwards. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Bueno drinks. Uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, (laughs) Apple Podcasts, and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, I guess, well, we're going to now go to our uh, number three, number two picks coming up after 
the only three lads music news coming up in two and two. That boy's got problems. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't like classic alternative music? Sucks! Huh. Please remember, if we want any out of you, we'll squeeze your head. Only three lads. It is time for your Only Three Lads music news. Legendary rocker Joan Jett does not like the idea of playing big concerts during the coronavirus pandemic, saying she does not want to put her band, crew, or fans in that kind of position. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts are set to go on tour next month with Motley Crue, Poison, and Def Leppard. Two dates have already been postponed. A full update on the tour is expected on June 1st. 21 Pilots drummer Josh Dunn and actress Debbie Ryan, you know her from the Disney Channel and the Netflix show Insatiable, secretly tied the knot on New Year's Eve. Ryan spilled the beans in an interview with Vogue. The two had been engaged for a year. And talk about a wedding. If COVID-19 changed your wedding plans, Tell Sirius XM's first wave in 150 words or less, and you have a chance to win a virtual white wedding with Billy Idol. Billy will be the best man and will perform at the online wedding. The couple will also get 10 G's in cash. And that is your only three lads music news. Play an instrument? Yeah. I can't believe I've never told you. I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I slapped the bass big time. What do you, what is that? You sound like a leprechaun. No, what that's a that? reggae guy. I just did reggae. It doesn't sound... It doesn't sound reggae? No. Slept to bass. No. How does it... It's like big time, big time, big time. Big time. Slip to bass, big time. Mm. Slap it to bass. That sounded like Borat. Yeah. Slap to bass, big time. That's better. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. Today, we are counting down our top five basses of the O3L era. We have a pretty good list so far, guys. Very impressed with your picks so far. Yaman. Yaman. You there? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm Jamaican all of a sudden. Bass, <laughs> bass makes me go Jamaican. Whatever. Hey, it's funky, man. I uh-huh. love bass. One of yeah. the reasons why I think I love the classic alternative music is that it was so driven by bass. We've yeah. talked about this before on different yeah. podcasts, but I think that's Heck, this yeah. is one of my favorite topics because it really lets me dive into, we're talking about bass lines and bass parts and part A of a song and part B of a song. And you really see if it wasn't for some of these bass players, some of the bands that we love, just they wouldn't, they, they yeah, probably they, wouldn't be famous because the way I look at bass guitar, of course, you have your rhythm section with this, you know, the drummer and the bassist, but the bass and the drums, that's kind of like your foundation. And a lot of people like to pay attention to the curtains or the awnings or the bay windows and the vaulted ceilings. You know, that's like your guitar player and your singer. But it's the <laughs> bass. It's the bass that puts that that foundation down. That and is the most unusual analogy. But you get it, right? I yeah. I do strangely uh, get it. Either, but too. is the bass the bay windows? No. No, the bass is the foundation. It's the foundation yeah. of it that It is the song. foundation. Sounds Absolutely. like Pixies to me, then, somewhere Amen. in your next two. Well, I said you... I said last week when we picked the topic that uh, this was going to be tailor-made uh-huh. for Greg. So yep. there was no pun intended at that time, but I guess we'll find out just yep. how punny that really was. I think I may shock you because I'm at my number three, but it's not the Pixies. But my number three pick is one of the uh, founding members of the noise rock band Sonic Youth. Kim Gordon is a piece of the band that influenced a number of successful grunge and alternative bands of the 90s. She's also a key figure in the development of the 90s riot girl movement, the punk movement, the feminist movement. Uh, she basically became the mama bear of alternative under, in, in underground punk rock, uh, and she's still going strong today. She debuted as a producer on Hole's uh, debut album, Pretty on the Inside. It's become a cult classic uh, since she worked on it. Uh, she's also an artist and an actor, a very interesting person. Um, I just think that if you listen to those Sonic Youth songs that weren't ever really played on the radio, but you can really see a lot of great bass lines in those songs. why I picked Kim Gordon as third on my list of the top five bases of the O3L era. That's cool. Yeah. Jeff Pierce will like that one. Oh, yeah. 
Well, good. JP? JP. Yeah. That one's for you, JP. He'll be all over us. Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> my number three is my turn, right? It yes. is, yes. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure I'm not going back, back a step again. So um, it's, it's your number eight singer. pick, Bueno. Number eight pick? Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, Three-point shot here. Uh, English singer, songwriter, composer, record producer. Uh, any guesses yet? Could be anybody, right? Right, Nick Lowe. Nope. Uh, lead instrument, of course. Uh, heavy, heavy melodies and high strings with a signature heavy chorus effect. Uh, in new order, he would do this, leaving the actual bass lines to keyboarders, and you know, Hook actually formed the basis. And this, of course, this is about Peter Hook, which also became Joy Division with Bernard Sumner back in 1976. Of course, following the. Uh, uh, death of a lead singer Ian Curtis in 80 the band reformed his new order and Hook played bass with them in 2007 so uh, back in July of 1976 uh, childhood friends Sumner and Hook actually separately attended a, a Sex Pistols show in the Manchester Lesser Free Trade Hall it's kind of funny reading about this because I don't think they knew at that point that they were both at that show but the following day Hook actually borrowed some money from his mother to buy his first bass guitar inspired by that performance and they actually formed a band with their friend Terry uh, Mason, and who also was at that show. So that's pretty bizarre. All three of them were at that show. And well, you talk to any Manchester punk rockers, and they were at that show. Yeah. That was a that was Incredible. such a groundbreaking, earth-shattering show. Well, yeah, Ian Curtis, he, he also said that after that show, he bought his first guitar. Yep. So there's all these people who went to that show who did then pick yep. up a guitar and become the post-punk era. Actually, he developed his high, you know, bass lines when he started playing with Joy Division because, you know, the speaker that he was using initially just was so poor that he had to play as high as he was able to hear what he was doing. So, and Bernard Sumner's, you know, his guitar was just so loud, but uh, incredible stuff this guy is all about. I mean, he also is using a, a Gibson EBO. Uh, and an EB-1, after retiring the EBO, he sold it years later because he had no money after building a custom bass guitar. Boy, that must have been an expensive custom bass guitar, you know? So, uh... That's just a small amount of the instruments he owns and plays, and uh, that's my number three for the top basis of the 03L era, Peter Hoke. Very proud of that pick. Is that one of our crossover? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Time will tell. Nah, Time will tell. We will find out. Let's Stay find tuned. out now, Brett. Stay tuned. Well, your number three. Well, number three is not a crossover oh. yet. My number three pick is Bruce Thomas of Elvis Costello's Partners in Crime, The Attractions. Cool. Uh, Bruce was a seasoned musician who had spent time in the early 70s backing Al Stewart and as a member of the band Quiver, who played alongside the highly underrated folk pop duo, the Sutherland Brothers. Great stuff. I know it falls outside the Oathrail window, though. Uh, but it was with The Attractions that Thomas's nimble, inventive bass lines really shone through. For all of Elvis's remarkable songwriting talents, in the early days, his guitar playing was somewhat ham-fisted, which meant that the keyboardist Steve Naive and Bruce Thomas had some considerable musical gaps to fill. How one man's fingers are capable of moving across the strings with such dexterity, such precision, and such complexity, and yet maintain that incredible sense of melody is beyond me. Just listen to what he does on early songs like Lipstick Vogue, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea, Goon Squad, or B-Movie. adept at invoking James Jamerson for the Motown grooves of Elvis's Get Happy album, the country swing of the Almost Blue album, the Beatlesque psychedelia of Imperial Bedroom, and the slick radio pop of Punch the Clock, so an extremely versatile bassist. I found America had another corner of my wife. 
After 1986's Blood and Chocolate, the attractions went on hiatus for eight years until Elvis was convinced to bring them back for 1994's Brutal Youth and 1996's All This Useless Beauty. Unfortunately, though, it seems that there are irreconcilable strains between Costello and Thomas, and they thus have not shared the same space for the past 24 years. Bummer. So, yeah, I know it is a bummer. Bruce Thomas is basically the only differentiating factor between the attractions and Elvis's current band, The Imposters, which means that the biggest thing missing from The Imposters is Bruce's sense of reckless abandon and excitement. But uh, just an incredible basis. My number three, Bruce Thomas. Awesome. Was he part of Whisper and a Scream too? He was. Yeah. Yep. That's an incredible bass sure line. Was, yeah. uh, every Elvis album from uh, this year's model to yep. uh, Goodbye Cruel World and then again for Blood and Chocolate. Love that song. Well, uh, we have a crossover alert coming up here <gasps> for number two. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, here it comes. You ready? Bruce ready? Thomas. Hey. hey. Everything. everything that, Brett, you just said everything that uh, I can't really add anything to that except, you know, pump it up until you get the feeling watching the detectives. Bruce Thomas's bass is key for all those songs, the early Elvis Costello and the attractions. You can hear the bass lines in your head, even if you don't want to right now. Uh, So there's really not much more I can say. Um, Of course, in 2003, you were saying how they weren't really friends anymore. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame as part of the attractions. He was there on stage, but he didn't play with Elvis. So I don't know if they're still not getting along. Uh, who peed in? Uh, yeah. So who peed in whose cornflakes? I don't know what happened. Uh, but well, it was the a thing long is, Bruce Thomas had written a book that had portrayed Elvis in, in, in not the best. Well, let's just say it was it was rather dismissive. Right. Uh, well, I read that Mr. Thomas became a, a, a nonfiction writer and that he did write this book, but didn't put names. But it was obvious, obvious who people were. And so instead yes. of Elvis Costello, it was the singer. And so that's why, yeah, so that's why, um, but they already had the falling out, I think, before that happened. And then Elvis Costello wrote some song of something about how can you be so dumb? I can't remember the name. How to be dumb from Mighty Like a Rose. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote that song as, I guess, uh, a pushback to that book. That's my number thinly two. Veiled. Yes. All right. Well, or not so thinly veiled. But that's my <laughs> number two, Bruce Thomas. <laughs> oh, is it my turn again? Bueno, it's yeah. you. Oh, okay. So my my number two, this guy is amazing. Uh, I'm just going to go straight out. Blink-182, Mark Hoppus, uh, mm. you know, former television personality, best known as the basis of that band, Blink-182. He was born in Ridgecrest, California. I didn't know if you guys knew that. He had, he had Soma. Nice, uh, They're in San Diego all the time. Yeah. He had a really nice uh, growing up there, became interested in skateboarding and uh, punk rock in junior high and actually received his first bass guitar from his father at age 15. And I mean, he's been rocking it since way back then. So, I know you'll be at my show, watching, waiting, commiserating. Say it ain't so, I will not go. Turn the lights off, carry me on. sister actually uh, introduced him to Tom DeLong and together with Scott Rittner. I mean, of course, they formed Blink-182 and uh, described himself as a straightforward until a high schooler became, began uh, skateboarding and listening to punk rock. He uh, actually just did a lot of crazy fun stuff growing up. I mean, I wish I had that kind of a life. first concert actually was uh, they must be giants at, uh, at his 16th birthday and uh, they must be he didn't know where he would stand out at that concert so him and his friends actually bought some uh, menthol cigarettes and they smoked for the first time and you know they tried to look cool but uh, you know they probably thought they actually looked like idiots you know doing that but uh, they probably did uh-huh he's a he's a cool guy i mean he actually taught himself how to play and uh by listening to bands as the as a cure bad religion and uh 
and the, the Descendants, and he said actually Silly Girl was the song that made him fall in love with punk rock, and uh, it changed his life forever. That's my number two for the top basis of the O3L era, or Compass. Right. Did you run across where he went to high school? Uh, I couldn't remember. Because right. no. I know I mentioned before that I, that I went to high school with Tom DeLong, but right. I don't remember Mark Coppice. I don't know if, if he went to Poway High as well. Yeah, it said he went to Annandale High School in his second oh. year. So I don't know where that is. I think it's in. The, it looks like it's in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. No, oh. you know that's well, why you don't know. Why I don't know where that is. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of <laughs> a little far from right where you're at there. A little bit. So yeah. So Mark Hoppus, man, love it. Mark Hoppus, pretty good. Okay. Place. Well. Uh oh. Well, well, well. Well, what do we got? We have a crossover. Oh, no. Again. Maybe the first triple crossover. Who knows? Oh. We still have Greg's number one to go. But um, one of the most defining sonic characteristics of Joy Division, New Order, and Monaco was, of course, Peter Hook's distinctive bass. It's a sound that has been earth-shakingly influential for scores of alternative and dance bands over the past 40 years. And, so the legend goes, as my esteemed colleague, Mr. Bueno, said, it all happened by accident as uh, he was trying to cut through the the low-end rumble and Joy Division's mix and started playing up the neck. And, of course, Ian Curtis said, no, do that. (laughs) So, one of the most distinctive styles in all of popular music was born. Hooky is not content with just plunking away at root notes either. He treats the bass like a lead guitar, providing many of his band's songs with their melody and hooks. I wish that pun was intended. That would have been a lot better. lines seem deceptively simple until you actually see what he's doing so take love will tear us apart i actually recorded a cover 20 some years ago of love will tear us apart and i just i played single notes and then a couple years ago i saw what peter hook was actually doing during that song he plays these harmonics bass chords he actually strums the strings like a regular guitar in parts of the song it's crazy there's there's so much more than meets the eye or meets the ear i guess just think of all those iconic bass lines. Atmosphere, Temptation, Blue Monday, Bizarre Love Triangle, Age of Consent, What Do You Want From Me? I mean, the list goes on and on. His contribution to and influence on alternative music is immeasurable, and I certainly hope that he can reconcile with uh, the rest of New Order one of these days because that is a sound that is sorely lacking uh, from that band. So. Anyway, that's my number two crossover, Peter Hook. Love it. Awesome crossover to have. You know, before this COVID all started, maybe late last year, he was on a club tour. I know he came through Phoenix. He played at this place called the Van Buren. Yeah, and uh, so I really wished I would have went to that, but I remember it was a weeknight. It was a school night, and I had to go to work at 5 a.m. in the morning, so there was no go. But um, definitely great bass player. Great list. Great pick for both of you guys. Well, this is the Only Three Lads podcast where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Of course, this week we're taking a look at our top five bases of the O3L era. Go to our Facebook page and you could like it and you could hit notify and you could leave your own list or you could even... I don't know, put something down there that you would like to hear us do a list of. So do it either way. Get to the Facebook page. Only three lads. Coming up, we will have our number one pick. So stick around. Come on to the island at Slop of the Bays. Come on. We need a list, baby. <laughs> we got to the last segment. Okay. We got to the last segment. On July 17th, Rhino Records will reissue a new clear vinyl 180-gram edition of Joy Division's swan song, Closer. Also out that day will be 12-inch single reissues of Transmission, Atmosphere, and Love Will Tear Us Apart, all three of which have not been issued in that format since the demise of Factory Records. And that's the news of the world. Three, lads. 
Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. I'm Uncle Greg. We have Brett Vargo. We have Bueno. Who? This week, counting down our top five bases bueno. of the O3L bueno. era. And we're really? down to our number ones. <laughs> I'm going to say this, guys. I'm a little bit upset because there's two people who should be on this list. And I didn't pick them because I had my reasons why I picked who I picked. But Kim Deal from the Pixie should be on here. And I haven't heard the Agreed. word flea yet. Oh, I thought you were picking peppers. the pixies right now. Yeah, you, you you won't hear flea from me. Yeah, no, I mean, I what I did was I kind of thought of a bass player who really captures the sound of the band. Mm-hmm. That if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't be kind of like a Peter Hook. Like no. he holds, like he's kind of a, a key dynamic of that band. Not that flea, flea is a key dynamic. No. Kim Deal is a key dynamic. I don't know why I picked Kathy Valentine over Kim Deal, but I just think that as bass players, that's what I liked. But I'm just surprised that no one has said either of those names, even me. And we're up to my number one right now. And this is where I thought you guys definitely would know who I would pick. Not huh. Kim well, Deal. We do. It, yes. it, was, it was Taylor made for you. Absolutely. There you go, John Taylor. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard to believe that the boy band of the 80 could play their own instruments and uh, just go and YouTube John Taylor bass lines. And oh I'll tell God. you what, I recently told someone to do that. And they did it. And they weren't even happy about bass. You know, they were more into all the other instruments in the band. And I, I, I got a response back to me. This is like going down a wormhole. And I said, <laughs> sure is, isn't it? And then if you have somebody in uh, your life who says they're a huge Duran Duran fan, start playing John Taylor's bass lines for them and see if they can you know, name that tune. Uh, it's a fun little game to play, uh, but you definitely, even novices can really start picking out the uh, grooves in all the Duran Duran songs by doing that. But I mean, come on, listen to Rio. Is there something I should know? Planet Earth, those A parts oh. and B parts. I mean, come on. Careless Memories. Oh, it's the whole band. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think I was telling this story maybe a couple of weeks ago, but I saw some documentary as a UK documentary where Duran Duran worked at a bar and that's so that they could get the rehearsal space where they were rehearsing in the same spaces as UB40 and Dixie's Midnight Runners. Basically, um, they had a funk night at that bar. What are we giggling about now? Uh, you said Dexies. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they tend to give me a stroke, but um, I, I You'll, you'll come off. around, Greg. I'll come around. I, I said it really fast so I can get through that. Okay, um, cool. But basically, they had Funk Night, and that's where Roger Taylor and John Taylor, they both love funk, and that's really the whole band, the whole rhythm section. Not that the Fab Five wasn't the five, but I'm just saying, John Taylor, he is that band, and he's my number one pick of the top five bassists of the 03L era. Love it. Yeah. I had to stay away from that because I wanted you to have that one, Greg. We knew. We knew, we knew all yeah. along, Greg. I knew right when anybody. the randomizer picked it, who oh, uh, well, yep. I know my number one. That well, a very easy. similar basis. I told you guys uh, before we started rolling that you know I almost picked Mick Karn from Japan. And I think, you know, you could draw probably a, a direct line, maybe with uh, some Nile Rodgers thrown in to uh, John Taylor's style. Oh, know? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Nile Rodgers really helped that band, too. Again, the funk. That's yep. what yep. he brought into it. And uh, wow, and they were just huge. You know, the last number one song from Duran Duran? View to a Kill Correct. in 1985. But I maybe Astronaut. I would have said Notorious. No. 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 Notorious. I don't think it hit number one. It charted. But the last yeah. number one, I believe, was uh, View to a Kill. Mm. Well, 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 well. So Stupid is it my D2 number one now? Trivia. It's your number one, Bueno. Is it my number one? Well, it is your number one, Bueno. Well, you were talking hey, bueno, about it's it. your number one. It's my number one. So insect. Yeah, remember the insect one? we talked about earlier? Flea. Oh. He's my number. He's my number one, dude. <sighs> Thank you, Bueno. I oh, feel no better. Problem. He was, you know, of course, the, one of the founding members of that uh, fantastic band we know as uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And actually, he's considered Australian-American musician, born in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Um, love his, his bass playing. I mean, just 
and what he does out there. I mean, the slap bass, the psychedelic, the punk, the hard rock, the style of his playing. I mean, in 2009, Rolling Stone readers ranked Flea the second best bassist of all time behind who? You have a guess who? I hope Paul McCartney. No. Uncle Greg? Well, well, I would say wrong. Huh? I would say John Taylor. Uh, no, but it's uh, another John and Twistle. Oh, so, um, oh, all right. Fair enough. Okay. You know, so uh, Paul should still be number one, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, he was inducted, you know, in 2012. Uh, with the Red Hot Chili Peppers into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, of course, he's acted in over, like, 20 films, uh, television series. I mean, he was in Back to the Future, Part 2, Part 3. I actually was in Part 3 myself, uh, that part where the, uh, the DeLorean runs down the train. Actually, there was a guy in the background. I lived right there in that, that complex back in Port Wyneme. And, actually, you could see me in the background running. It's kind of funny. People go, oh, I see you. There you are. So, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Flea, it was incredible what that guy's done in his career, and he actually, his uh, bass right now he's using is a, uh, a custom shop uh, Fender jazz bass, and uh, that's my number one for the top five bassists of the 03L era, Flea. Thank you, Bueno. No problem. I feel Thank better. You, bueno. I, I had it hanging in the background. I mentioned it last week, and I gave it up last week. Right out of the get-go at the end of the show. I've never seen any appeal to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I think Flea's a very talented bassist. Mm-hmm. Keeps you going. And I've been meaning to tell you guys that uh, that I was actually in Back to the Future 3 as well. I'm actually Michael J. Fox. So awesome. There you go. I, I figured now was a good time for that reveal. All right. <laughs> We ready for my number one? Yes. Heck yeah, we're born ready for it. My number one pick uh, for being somebody who's groundbreaking on multiple fronts is Crossover. Ooh. Tina Weymouth from Talking Heads. Yeah. All right, so first let's get the gender issue out of the way because I know even though it shouldn't matter, it does. So when Tina Weymouth came on the scene, Female bassists were not overly prominent in the male-dominated world of rock and roll. Uh, you had an anomaly, of course, in the great Carol Kay from The Wrecking Crew, who was frequently heard on records but not seen. And you had some great, extraordinarily talented all-female bands who, because of the times, were seen as quote-unquote cute novelties among their male peers, like the Liverbirds, the Loved Ones, Asa Cups, and Fanny. Tina Weymouth came along and blew the doors wide open for bassists like Kim Deal, Kim Gordon, Josephine Wiggs, and you know just about every woman that picked up a bass uh, after. <laughs> Not that she had it easy. I was watching a BBC documentary a, a couple weeks ago on women in rock, where she recounted all of her problems. I mean, she suffered all sorts of verbal slander from the crowds and even she said she was mistreated by David Byrne. He made her addition uh, three times to be to be in the band. All the while she never exploited nor downplayed her gender instead letting the music do the talking as it should. And the fact of the matter is that she is one of the greatest bassists of all time who's capable of playing everything from punk to funk to afrobeat to hip hop play it funky slinky slippery or menacing Stylistically, she lends a certain nervous energy that is essential to the band's sound, but it's never intrusive, creating solid syncopated grooves that just let the music breathe. And she uses the fretboard extremely wisely. So if you listen to her, you'll notice that every once in a while, she's she'll place a well-placed slide or pop to her bass lines, uh, much like veteran reggae or funk basses do. For a primer on Weymouth's incredible virtuosity with her instrument, check out the head's fear of music, remain in light, and speaking in tongues. And of course, as Bueno mentioned, the Tom Tom Club's first album, which contains the irrepressible jam, Genius of Love, which anytime that's on, that's an instant, just pump it up. So that is my number one, Tina Weymouth. Incredible crossover. 
got to listen to her stuff when you got your headphones on. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable just listening to her like that. Such an integral part of that band. Mm-hmm. And look at our list, guys. We are very uh, showing both sides. You know, we have both genders in there. We have uh, females and males, and it's just time that we stop saying a female basis. Just say a basis, because no. I think that, uh, you know, all the three females that we've had on are just incredible. They are. Yeah. And normally, I wouldn't even make mention of it, I mean, other than right. as, a, as a descriptive term, but I think with her in particular... She broke a lot of ground. She did. Sure. Yep. And of course, Kim Deal, we want to say that you are one bad basis and you get an honorable mention because she yep. should have been on one of our lists, but yep. she just didn't make mine. And I think you guys might have been saving her for me. And I appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. I'm sad that she didn't make a list. She was on my longer list, though. Yep. For yeah, sure. She Same probably would have been Taylor. my sixth, you know, but I yep. was like yep. Kathy Valentine and her. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And so then I said, okay, I'm going with Kathy Valentine because she had more impact. I, uh, well, I mean, Kim Deal had a huge impact on the Pixie sound too, but I don't know. I think yeah, yeah, Kathy Valentine. Sure well, I had mentioned dropping Mick Karn and also the the big one for me because the jam are very important to me uh, is Bruce Foxton. Mm -hmm. Just the way, you know, his bass was so prominent on those jam records. So let's go back to that Elvis Costello one. That, was that guy, um, was was that gentleman in that time where the, the we had that guy just making that scream, that noise that he was making during that whole concert? Yeah, he was in the attractions so from the from the very beginning. So he yep. was on that live at the El Macombo record with the okay. with All that right. dang scream. From 77 to 87, Bruce Thomas was in yep. the attractions. Yep. Anybody ever come up and let us know who that screamer was? That guy? No, but I will I will find him and I'm gonna just beat the bueno. car out of him. It was really bueno. <laughs> Come on. Wow, we've had a couple of big reveals on this I episode. Know, didn't we? <laughs> Absolutely. One hundred percent bueno. <laughs> he was there. Pogoing in the front and screaming. People want to beat him to this day. <laughs> we should just we should have him come in and just scream throughout the entire episode uh -huh. at, at inappropriate moments. Uh-huh. Bueno say, all right, so my number one, woo! My number one, woo! Okay. <laughs> we was to death. I Come will on. have to mix that mix that down so it's not ear-piercingly loud. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we got our top five. All right, so here, here we go. My number five, of course, was Nick Beggs from Kaja Goo Goo. My number four, Kathy Valentine. Uh, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, my number three. Bruce Thomas, number two. And John Taylor, bassist god, number one this week. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. John Taylor. Bueno. I, my number five was Lemmy. Number four, crossover, Tina Weymouth. Number three, Peter Hook, another crossover. Number two, Mark Hoppus. And my number one, Flea. Okay. And man, my number five was Robert Vickers. Mother number Vickers? four, Manny. Number three, Bruce Thomas. <laughs> Who are you? My island accent's getting worse as I go <laughs> yeah. on. Who number are you? Two, Peter Hook. And number one, <laughs> Tina Weymouth. Yeah, man. <laughs> Let's get the O3L randomizer going, man. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, here we go. What's the whammy this week? Boy? Whammy. Whammy. This is going to be fun. We got a whammy? I like this topic. All right. Next week, it is the top five album closers. You mean like the last song to a record? The last song on the record. Like the end from uh, Abbey Road? Would that be? It depends on if you count Her Majesty. Then well, yeah, yes. we could do that too. Okay. <laughs> what about a hidden track? If, if, if you want to let your freak flag fly with a hidden track, then <laughs> go for it. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> or if you want to go Brett Weird, yeah. you could go Brett Weird. And I've probably. All right. Won't. Well, hey, don't forget, get to our Facebook page. You can leave your list. Make sure to go to the Only Three Lads Facebook page. You can like us, hit notifications. Our shows come out Tuesday morning. That's where you'll see the episodes. And also, we'll be doing some special shows coming up because we want to especially thank Robert Vickers for coming on to today's podcast, yes, giving yes, his Robert. top five basis of the O3L era. And is there anything else that you guys need to go do or say? I'm Uncle Greg. I'm out. Uncle Greg's out? Brett? Even though I'm sure sometimes you guys wish I, <laughs> I'm out, I'm I'm not out. I'm all in. Thanks for another <laughs> great episode. Be bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. 
For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.